You, the listener, came through big for me this week. I will do a lot of listener feedback responses. Plus, Inside Edition did a great report to expose prosperity preachers. We'll do that and more on today's Corey Act show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. Indeed, you, the listener, came through big for me because I now have two shows. Additionally, it was vacation week for me. So if you're listening to this when the podcast comes out, or live on on 92.9 Christian Talk 660. Uh, I guess that's 92.9 FM, WLFJ. In any event, whatever you're, whenever you're listening, I'm probably in the ocean or on a boat in the ocean because it was going into vacation week. I'm going on a cruise to the Bahamas. And so trying to put together a sh- or two shows, this with the Corey Truax Show and South Carolina Connections, on that kind of week, it was also a busy uh, business week, lots of things going on in my life. So, you guys coming through with lots of listener feedback was very helpful. We're going to get started on all that in just a second. But first, my name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville, South Carolina. And you, yes, you are cordially invited to Beachwood Church if you are in the upstate of South Carolina. I am also the host of South Carolina Connections. That is a podcast of the Palmetto Family Council. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. That's another good, fun 30-minute show of mine. So that means I am putting out now for you 120 was that? What's that's not correct. No, eighty minutes. Eighty minutes. I was gonna say. I guess it's an hour and twenty minutes. An hour and twenty minutes of content every week, and you can get more content by the way throughout the week on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for me, Corey Truax, and you will find that content there. Now, if we don't get started, we are not going to get to nearly everything I want to get to today, and we will immediately get to listener feedback. So last week's show, it was all abortion all the time, and even a big chunk of the of the show before that spent some time on. Brian Sims, the big bully up in Pennsylvania, and so this has caused more feedback than I am used to because the topic is hot button and very much in the news right now. Like We are in a moment where abortion is a thing everyone is discussing. And so I got a good bit more feedback than usual, and I want to highlight some of that right now. So first, Zach, who was listening from like the Midwest, by the way. Uh, Zach, it was a pleasure getting to message back and forth with you, and I meant to ask, how on earth did you find out about this show? Like, there, the, however that happened, I'm very interested to know. So you should message me again just to figure that out, uh, how people from far, far away found out and start and are listening. Uh, but ask first one question. I, I said recently on a show, I'm, I'm certainly not a Republican. It was almost like a throwaway line. But he uh, asked, well, what are you? So if you don't call yourself a Republican, why don't you call yourself a Republican? And what are you politically? if you had to put yourself into a classification? Good question, Zach, and I wanted to respond to both. Um, I was already, in before Do- Donald Trump ever came along, was getting away from that label, not even because of my theological leanings, but just because ideologically I care about things like the debt, and I care about things like spending and limiting government. And I was seeing over my... My time in politics, I started in 01, and so George W. Bush was, was president then, and I look over the, let's go the the Bush administration, and I got Medicare Part D, so that's more government. I got No Child Left Behind. I got more government. I got, well, 
an incredible amount of debt. Even if there weren't the Iraq War and Afghanistan War, it still would have run up a lot more debt. And so I start looking at Republicanism, like its platform and what it says on its documents and what it actually does. And I look at it and go, am, am I that? Am I the invade Iraq, spend a bunch of money on prescription drugs, drugs, I mean, money that we don't have, run up debt, have more inclusion of the federal government in state education? Am I those things? No, I'm not those things at all. And even on the, the stuff they do give us, Republicans get you the tax cut, it's always this really marginal, smaller thing than we actually want. And so I was already already thinking, I'm talking like 03, 04, or 05, and I was still in high school thinking, Republicanism, like this this party, this this apparatus, it is the best vehicle available to me for my ideas. I think my ideas, and they're not just mine, I mean, they've been, they're shared by millions of people, these ideas are the best for people. They're the best ideas for human flourishing, for the most people to have the most good. And the Republican Party just happens to be the best vehicle. It's not a good vehicle, but it's a it's the best one. And so I've been involved in those circles. But I certainly wouldn't call myself one because the actual activity of those in the party uh, doesn't actually often represent those ideas. And then second, as I became more theologically deep and theologically astute, it occurs to me that the identification with a party is probably damaging to my evangelical witness because the Republican Party has all of its kind of its ethical issues too and there's that's a there's some baggage that comes along with it in American Christianity because I, mean, I know this blows a lot of Americans minds but this is not an American religion we are generations past where following Jesus happened and geographically we're nowhere near where Christianity began but in this Americanized Christianity, there's an association with Republicanism that turns off the unbeliever and totally ter- will cause them not to listen like really quickly. And so I don't want to be in- associated with Republicanism because it's not good for my, uh, I, th- I think, my spiritual standing as well. So I don't call myself a Republican for those reasons. What do I call myself? I'm definitely an independent. I, I would steal maybe the language of... Andrew Heaton, this is a podcast I listen to fairly regularly, he calls himself a political orphan, and that's what I, that's how I feel. I feel like a political orphan. Like, I don't have a home in any party. I know what I believe, I know the ideology, but no one actually stands up for that ideology. So I don't have a home, politically. But I operate in a lot of Republican primaries, because I think they're the best available vehicle of all the really, really bad vehicles. So there's the questions from Zach, and thank you for listening. Kylie wrote in after the abortion episode and talked about a story she heard that I just loved of uh, Christian registered foster parents. So parents who have gone through all the processes, their home is approved, they have been approved, like they are able to foster kids, that they were showing up at abortion clinics with their credentials and trying to help counsel with, with young ladies saying, uh, we we can do this. Like if you bring this child to term and the child is birth, we we can coordinate it. We are ready to take the time and the effort to at least be foster this kid, if not if not adopt. And what an incredible testimony that is. And it's something that I think should inspire those who are capable. Where married couples have the ability to foster. 
man, put it out there in front, guys. Like make make it really public that you're ready and willing. As I mentioned, as I mentioned last week, it is Christians that do the most adopting in this country by far. But that kind of direct, in the face of the problem, activism would be really helpful. Uh, so it's a beautiful, sweet story. I'm thank you, Kylie, for sending it in, and it is a good word of action for the rest of us to try to uh, be be more proactive in the, uh, I guess, in the solutions regarding the problems that lead to abortion. Which leads me to my the last listener feedback, which is really a friend feedback. We uh, sat down with a, a good friend, Glenn, and he brought up a good point that the situations that lead to abortion are tragic. Especially if you go back into history. It's If the stereotype in our head around abortion just tends to be a women of ill repute who use abortion as birth control, that we're not really talking about the typical situation, that we're often talking about women who are in relationships and then guys leave because they don't want to take care of a kid and they feel abandoned and alone and they panic, and that all that is true. And so there should be some, a lot of, compassion and empathy around the situations that drive women to consider abortions. That does not change the ethics of it. No situation, no abandonment, no loneliness, no uh, the fact that someone has been taken advantage of does not justify the killing of the unborn. For us, though, as we talk through it, it is good counsel to recognize situations are often harrowing and hard and horrible, and I use three H's because I'm a Baptist, and we alliterate with three points. Harrowing, hard, and horrible. I did that, did that off the top of my head, by the way. I'm that Baptist. My point here being, there's a lot of space for empathy and sympathy around that. Glenn also brought up a really good idea that I wish I could claim as my own. Like, I, I was almost tempted to pr- pretend it was my own. I feel like we should, from his idea, start floating the idea of death certificates for miscarriages. Miscarriages are one of the saddest things, man. I've seen that in my church and people very close to me. It is super sad. In these scenarios, the baby was wanted. That's one of the weird parts of the abortion debate is often we've decided who's a person, who's not a person, by whether or not they are desired. If the child is desired, we throw them parties and have baby showers and gender reveals. If the child is not desired, we just go to a clinic and kill the child. But these these children who are desired, and then you lose them. I've actually known some folks who have done funerals for the miscarried. And I admired that idea. Because this is a consistency of the principle. And there would even, I, I think, help with, you know, I think on a death certificate, I think at least, you list parents. So you could, in these situations where these women are alone and we have the DNA to do it now to show who, who dad is. and I don't know. There's something there. There's something there about being consistently pro-life that that kind of symbol is leads to the higher truth and the accuracy of there being life in the womb. And so I think it's something we should consider, maybe float as policy. 
I'm sh- I don't know about medical professionals and their opinion thereof, but the ethics are consistent. The ethics of issuing a death certificate for the unborn in the womb, it, it, le- it leads to that further thought. Well, what, what do we do? Like This child was miscarried and it was this many weeks along, but this woman is going intentionally into a place to, to end a pregnancy that's this many weeks along. And while this child gets a death certificate, this child in the miscarriage is going to be named and have a legacy uh, and it, it's being dignified. This, this boy or girl is being, is being dignified as a person. Why aren't we dignifying and signifying the significance of this other child in the womb who's being intentionally killed? It's, a, it's an interesting idea, and I would take uh, certainly any more thoughts and listener feedback. That's how we spent the first segment here. When we come back, I had one more listener question that I think is going to take a little bit of time to get through because I was asked, what would you say at a high school commencement speech? I will talk about that when we return on the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. If you would be so kind, find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. Follow along for more content throughout the week. Share the show with others on your own social media, if you would be so kind. And as more and more of you are doing, I am noticing, and I am grateful. And then I thought I had one more note. And also, maybe become a sponsor of the show. You can do that at Anchor, anchor anchor.fm, or download the Anchor app. Support the show with whatever you think it's worth. And also, you can send me voicemails. You can send me voicemails or voice messages on the Anchor app, like the way Zach and Kylie, they, they actually wrote into the show. Well, you can also record those thoughts on your phone and just send them on in, and I can play them on the podcast. You can hear your voice in high definition, and it probably sounds better than my voice. So everyone will enjoy that if you participate in the show that way. I know I would enjoy it if you participated in that way as well. So we're going through some of this listener feedback, and I had an interesting question from a guy named Paul. This is not my good friend Paul, who sometimes writes into the show. This is a Paul I don't know. Paul is the father, it appears, of a young lady who just graduated high school, and he was not impressed with the commencement speaker at his local high school. And he said, what would you say to high school graduates? Because maybe he, I think his intention, he wanted to play whatever I'm about to say to this young lady. So I wrote down, because uh, I'm a Baptist, as I just mentioned in the previous segment, we operate in a world of three points. We love three points. It's our favorite n- number of points. And so I tried to go back to when I was 18. That's a long time ago for me now. I'm 33. Just graduated high school, but started at North Greenville University. What do I wish someone would have said? And I wanted to do this a little bit off the top of my head but with the outline of three points. So I just wrote down three points, and then I'm just going to riff on these three. And if you want to play this for your high school student or your recent high school graduate, I highly encourage it. But this is a good question from Paul, so here we go. What would I say to high school graduates at a commencement speech? I would give them counsel. I would say to them, listen, I just lived through a lot of the, a lot of the life that you're about to go into. I just lived about what, uh, 33, so I've, I'm... I'm 15 years past you. Here is what would have made my 15 years better. Number one, be humble. Even right now, I'm still working on humility. I don't do a great job of it. I'm only barely getting better at it as time goes by. But be humble in that you recognize there's a lot of people that know more than you. 
you might be like me and you've got this really impressive SAT score. But there's a lot of people who still really know a lot more than you. Maybe you're coming out of high school and you are a super high achiever. There's still a lot of people that know a lot more than you. And maybe you're coming out of the high school and you've ha- you've already had some life, man. You you've really struggled through some things and you've overcome some things. Recognize there's still a lot of people with a lot more experience. And so in that humility, seek out godly spiritual mentorship. Seek out godly and spiritual accountability and be humble towards that accountability and humble towards that leadership and mentorship. Be humble. Assume this right now. You don't know what you're doing. You'll make financial mistakes. You will make relational mistakes. You will make life mistakes. It happens. One of the ways to try to insulate yourself from that is to be humble and to seek out good and godly mentorship and accountability. So number one, be humble. Recognize that you're not nearly as smart as you think you are right now. Number two, be patient. That's hard with it's hard with youth. You feel like life is getting by too quickly, that everything is flying by you. And at some level, guys, I'll admit these fifteen years have flown by. In another way, I, I sit here now and recognize I'm probably only now getting into the better years of my life. One of the things I've said on the show many times is that if life came in quarters, the life expectancy is about eighty. It's about uh, 80 years now. And so if life came in the quarters of 0 to 20 years, and then 21 to 40 years, 41 years to 60, and then 60 to 80, I'm actually really confident that 41 to 60 are the best years. And so here I am at 33. I'm actually counting on the fact that I'm not in my best years yet. And you think because you're young and then you're at your healthiest and you're at your most vibrant that these should be your best years. Guys, don't peak this early. I tell this to students in North Greenville University. We don't think that 18 to 22 years old, the four years you spend in college, we don't think that should be the best four years of your life. That's a terrible life. If your best years were 18 to 22, you're only living downhill from there? That's a terrible idea. So have the patience to recognize these actually aren't, even with potential to be your best years. You're never more broke than when you, like financially. Then when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, into your early 20s and mid-20s, you're still, you still have that thing where you really care about what other people think. Like you care about your reputation amongst others, uh, and you care what the crowd thinks about you and your reputation. That goes away over time. So you're never more broke. You're, you're never more self-conscious. You really don't have a ton of, most people at your age don't have a ton of life experience to recognize that the things you think are super bad and super hard, you have no idea what bad and hard is yet. Some of you do. Some, some young folks I know have had more bad and more hard than I can ever imagine. Vast majority of your challenges thus far with your breakups and some bad grades and some struggles in school and struggling with your identity and your, uh, what's the word, your self-esteem, a lot of the problems you have faced... Like, you have no idea what's coming. Like, life is hard, guys. And so go ahead and recognize that you're going to have to be patient through it. Be patient. Good things come to those who wait. Good things come to those who work hard. And so be humble and be patient. Put in that effort towards patience. Recognize that the 
the challenges that are coming, you can overcome them, but it's, they don't go by quickly. Things don't go by quickly. That's not how life works. So be humble and be patient. That's one. Uh, and so also on the patient seat, let me give some, put some, uh, what the, what's the phrase I'm thinking about? That's it. Put some flesh on these bones. So be patient. When all of your other friends are racking up all kinds of debt to go to Europe over the summer, don't do that stupidity. Don't rack up that kind of debt. When all of your other friends are wearing what they're wearing in terms of clothes and jewelry and getting the car that they drive through all the all the credit that they can accrue and they're ruining their financial lives going forward, don't do that kind of stupidity. Be patient. Be patient in all the uh, material things that you want. When it comes to relational things, guys, the most relationships that you're starting in your late teens and early 20s, those things don't last. So while everyone else seems like they're finding their significant other and falling in love, be patient. That's, that's usually not how life works nowadays. Be patient on those things. You start to feel the angst or maybe you, of, of your spiritual life, or you start to wonder if the spirituality with which you grew up is really fulfilling uh, because you're, you're seeing it not deliver on some of the promises you thought it would deliver. Well, be patient. Do your studies. Think through what the real Christianity is. But just be patient through these things. So one, be humble. Number two, be patient. And number three, if I had the chance to speak at a high school commencement, what I would say to these 18-year-olds. I guess in a public school setting, I probably couldn't say this, but number three is follow the boundaries the Bible gives you. I talked recently on the show. It's, it's like now my favorite psalm, my f- favorite phrase in psalms, that the boundaries of the Lord fall for me in pleasant places. The boundaries of the Lord fall for me in pleasant pla- in pleasant places. So the boundaries God has placed on who can demand my time and who can uh, how how many hours I can spend on social things or how many hours I can spend on the obligations I take on. Well, the Lord has set up some boundaries for me about when I work and when I rest, and those boundaries are in pleasant places. And if I get my if I cross over His boundaries and I overwork or I overcommit or I overobligate myself, I will be miserable. I will have fallen out of the pleasant boundaries of the Lord. The Lord has placed boundaries on me relationally about how I deal with friends and then women and how I deal with my parents and how I deal with siblings. Well, when I get out of those boundaries and I get out of what the, what the Lord has laid down as the wise way, well, I'm going to be miserable. It's going to make me miserable because I didn't follow the boundaries of the Lord. The boundaries are, of the Lord are actually in a pleasant place. And all, if I stay inside those boundaries, I will have that pleasantness. The, the Lord has set up boundaries for me and how I spend my money and how on, on what I spend my money. And when I have gotten out of those boundaries, it's made me miserable, and then I have to clean up the mess of it. And so if I stay inside those boundaries, there's happiness and there's blessing. So be humble. Be patient. And stay inside the pleasant boundaries of the Lord. And thanks, Paul, for that question. That is what I would say to a graduating class of 2019. And also, congratulations. You did high school. Awesome. Now, here comes the rest of life. It comes at you quick. It comes at you hard. Uh, and you can do it. Uh, you, 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 have, you, have, you have in you what it takes. Uh, just be humble, be patient, and follow the boundaries of the Lord. Now, I guess we should 
let's keep it on spiritual things. I'm going to play for you. This might take, I don't know, the next 20 minutes. I'm sure it'll go into the next segment. Inside Edition, which is not a show I watch ever, but someone shared with me a clip, a four-minute, a little bit more than four-minute long story they did on televangelists. Some of the most embarrassing parts of American Christianity, and it's because it's a fake Christianity, it's not a real one. So guys like Jesse Duplantis and Creflo Dollar, those kind of guys. And Inside Edition did some journalism here. Now granted, the folks at Inside Edition probably just dislike Christians generally, and so they went out to try to embarrass Christianity by showing the most embarrassing parts. Nevertheless, they did a pretty good job, and even did some What's that called? Ambush. Ambush journalism. Like uh, ambush some of these super rich rich uh, dudes who think the doctrines of Christianity are, if God loves you, you'll be rich. Also give me all your money. And so I'm going to play for play you that entire story. It's worth listening to. I'm just going to stop it along the way and make some comments. Uh, but this, this, I'm glad they're exposing this. I'm glad that the pagan world, the unbelieving world, is exposing this false and fake Christianity that is such a burden on people. That's another actual conversation I had recently with a friend, that there is this, this fake Christianity out there that is such a burden on people that tells them if you have enough faith, then all of your problems will be solved. And so therefore, when you don't get healed or you don't get a financial windfall, it's because you didn't have enough faith. God is wanting to bless you, and you're at fault for it. There's no biblical support for this thinking, and it ends up being a big burden on people that the Lord doesn't lay it on them. Jesus says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The yoke of you've got to try harder to have better and more faith, that's a heavy burden that folks like these televangelists lay on them. And so I'm going to play for you now from Inside Edition. The question, the, the title of the segment is, why do these televangelists need expensive jets? They are some of the most popular and flashy TV evangelists in the country. These men appear to have made a lot of money, and they travel, well, like kings. When our Lisa Guerrero tried to ask one of these wealthy preachers about that, some might say she was treated in a very non-Christian way. There ought not be any poor among you. They're among the most popular televangelists in America. I just need more. I just need more. And they're wealthy beyond imagination. One of my chandeliers costs more than most people's house. I got 22 chandeliers in the house. That's Kenneth Copeland. One of my chandeliers, or as he says it, chandeliers cost more than most people ha- most people's houses and I have 22 chandeliers. All right, Kenneth. I wonder if that's true. If you could buy 21 homes for people. If you could build 21 or more affordable houses for people. This is th- that kind of opulence is not what Paul had. It's not what Peter and James and John had. As you go through the beginning part of the the early church with Polycarp and all those guys, this has not been part of of the biblical faith that your pastors accumulate so much wealth that they're bragging about their 22 chandeliers, all of them costing more than most people's homes. That was Kenneth Copeland. Live in huge mansions, drive fancy cars, and forget about flying coach. 
they own some of the best private jets money can buy. I got an intercontinental plane. Pastor Jesse DePlantis zips around in this DeSalt Falcon 50 jet paid for by his church. Here he is boarding the plane with his wife for a short one-hour flight from Fort Worth, Texas to his home outside New Orleans. Estimated round-trip cost, $14,000. If he flew commercial, it would be as low as 180 bucks. Now, I do want to temper that criticism a little. Some pastors have independent wealth. They've written a book or they've done, they did something else before they were a pastor. Like, they're not a tel- I'm not talking about this guy. These televangelists that just tell people they're going to get a blessing if they send them money, I have no, I'm not trying to defend them at all. But the idea of, hey, they, didn't, they could have saved $10,000 by flying commercial, saved eleven thousand dollars. I guess there it was like thirteen grand by flying commercial instead of their private jet. Well, if they're if they somehow have their own money and they want to spend it on that, I would still ask them, hey man, is is there anything else you could do with it? Because if I had my own independent wealth and I can fly commercial and get where I'm going when I need to be there and not and I could spend that other I could spend those extra ten thousand dollars or save or invest that other ten grand in something else that might be more fruitful. I know I would. So uh, there's some there's some temperance I want to put on that. But it is not a terrible point for these guys because all of their money just comes from other people's donations. And if you're giving to these people, there should be a question there of, wait, you stewarded that money instead of taking commercial flights. You took your, your private jet. Are you stewarding this money well? I think this next phrase is one I really wanted to respond to from, I think it's Kenneth Copeland again. Here's more of the story. 180 bucks. My congregation is the world. Yeah. I need to play. No, then, there it is. This, from Kenneth Copeland, is the, this shows a, a really sad lack of understanding of what it means to be a pastor. He says... My congregation is the world. I need the plane. There is no biblical basis for that sentence whatsoever. There is no pastor whose congregation is the world. This is part of why uh, Timothy or Peter would say, shepherd the flock of God, God among you. This is why the pattern you see throughout Scripture is that you have a man... You have a group of men as elders living inside that community, pastoring the flock of God among them. And there's another office of person who's an evangelist. And back then there would be apostles and they would travel, but they're not pastors. A pastor is a shepherd who is with the sheep. And you can't be with the entire world. That that shows an appalling ignorance of what it means to be the pastor of a local body. It is not the case, sir that the world is your congregation. That's not true at all. But And again, you can actually reach the world on commercial flights, believe it or not. He says his jet allows him to better spread his message around the world. And it sure has taken him to some pretty nice places. 16 times to Hawaii alone since 2006. I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. DePlantis now wants an upgrade to this $54 million DeSalt 7X that comes with lavish interiors. 
Only the wealthiest people in the world can afford such luxury. I want to go back for a second to respond to that. If Jesus were on earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Yeah, I agree. I also don't think he would be in a Range Rover and going to his private jet. One of the themes of Jesus' ministry was his ministry to the poor. That he he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And one of the ways that he illustrated that was by first going to those who seemed undesired, the undesirable, the, the, the folks who are not powerful. You don't, I don't even begrudge or, or find anything unbiblical here because that's, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if I, if I disagree. We should be finding things that are biblical. There's not a biblical mandate against wealth. Even for a minister, there's not a a prohibition against having things and having even a lot of things. But the idea that the model of Jesus' ministry would be this opulent wealth is opposite of anything we understand biblically. I want to go through the rest of this report, and I have a couple more thoughts to uh, to get to today on a couple other topics. So we'll do that when we come back. We've got to take this break here on WLFJ 92.9 FM and here on the Corey Truax Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have you with us on, on the Corey Truax Show. Wherever you're listening, I am grateful for it. I really wanted to get a cup to a couple other stories here today. I don't know if you will, but here we go. Uh, back to this Inside Edition story about these televangelists and the uh, their their false gospel of wealth that they preach and all of the wealth that they're rolling in and their private jets and all that. There's one particular part of the story I was hoping to get to, but let me play for you more of it now from Inside Edition as they are exposing the televangelists and all of their terrible theology. So for you that don't think I should have that plane, God told me to have that plane. That is, again, I think Kenneth, Co- yes, yeah, Kenneth Copeland. I don't think that's Jesse Duplantis. It's, it's hard to tell some of these guys apart. I'm glad we got to that phrase as well. So he says, well, God told me to have that plane. This is a problem throughout Christianity is that language. Because watch this. It's going to blow your mind. I've got a super cool trick for you. Hey, Kenneth, God told me you're not supposed to have that plane. Now what do we do? You claim God told you. I claim God told you you shouldn't. How do we settle that? You know how we do it? The Bible. This is, I I get really nervous, and we should all get nervous when someone says, God told me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to quote some scripture? Because God told us a lot. He told us a lot in the Bible. That's how we know what's true and what's false. The, the phrase, God told me, is a very risky one. That's really more accurately what it means to, to take God's name in vain. God has told us the principles and precepts by which we should live. And if you're not getting them directly from Scripture, you can't say God told you. And so I don't even know how to adjudicate this problem with somebody who says, God told me to have a plane. Well, God told me you shouldn't. Well, how do we do this? We can only go to Scripture, and Scripture would not, it would give some principles. And maybe in those principles, there is room for you to have your own plane. That's possible. But there is no room for you to claim that God personally told you to have that plane. When he didn't respond to our request for an interview, I met him at a book signing. Why do you need a $54 million private jet? We're not doing any kind of interviews right now. I'm in a book. I'd just like to know why you need a private Keep your hands off me. Why are your people touching me like this? Because you need to wait. Let go of me. 
the next day back on the pulpit. Now he's about to be a jerk in his um in his church about this thing. Now, granted, with Inside Edition and this woman, she did ambush him at a book signing, and I guess that's fine. And security removed her. That's also fine, though. That's one of the things that happened in, happens in ambush journalism. You might be removed by security. You have to be able to accept that as a consequence. Uh, you you weren't invited there. And so for her to be so offended by it, you, know, you can ease up. But you want to talk about a, a Christian principle. One is to love your enemies and that we don't, uh, we don't mock those who mock us. So you're going to hear next here, uh, D- Kenneth Copeland or Duplantis, whoever this guy is, he's going to mock her. So this is this is a guy who's already teaching a false religion, then behaving in a very non-Christian way. But he joked about how his security got rid of me. She's gone. Boom. I could hear her hollering. And I came back and said, what'd you do with her? He said, I made her outside edition. <laughs> For $54 million, I want you to imagine how many people could be fed, how many homeless could have places to sleep. Ole Anthony and Pete Evans investigate televangelists for the Trinity Foundation, a watchdog group. They're extremely greedy. They don't need mansions. They don't need jets. <laughs> but when it comes to luxurious travel... Are you seeing this? I hope so. You bought it. <laughs> So that, now they're getting to Kenneth Copeland. What I was playing for you earlier was Jesse Duplantis. Now here's the Kenneth Copeland part, and it's very instructive. Very few people can beat Kenneth Copeland. He even has his own airport next to his lovely mansion in Newark, Texas. Copeland actually has two private jets, a $20 million Citation 10 and a Gulfstream 5 jet that he recently bought from movie director Tyler Perry. He's flown his jets to his vacation ski resort in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, at least 143 times since 2000. So why not fly coach? Who better to explain his reasoning than to that other high-flying preacher, his good buddy Jesse DePlantis? This dope-filled world, right? Get in an air, get in a long tube with a bunch of demons, right? That's exactly, the and it's, it's deadly. We caught up with, which is a crazy thing for him to just say, right? He, What's it like to get to a plane? It's like getting in a long tube with a bunch of demons. <laughs> These guys are like, that's an insane thing to say. And so I'm glad Inside Edition is doing this ambush journalism, and she's about to ambush him at his home, getting into his, that, that is a Cadillac Escalade, and it is nice. Uh, but she's about to ambush him about that, that sentence that he used. Reverend Copeland in Branson, Missouri. You said that you don't like to fly commercial because you don't want to get into a tube with a bunch of demons. Do you really believe that? I got to stop on that. Come on, guys. That's funny. (laughs) Tube with a bunch of demons. It's not, the, the content's not funny. It's funny that a human being said those words. Like you can be sad at it or you can laugh at it. And I am sadly laughing at it. That human beings are demons. No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. By the way, his, he looks crazy right here. So she says, why, you know, why did you say human beings are demons? He is wagging his finger. His eyes are wide. He looks insane. I didn't say that. Don't you say I did. Yes, you did. We just played it, man. You said getting into a plane is like getting to a long tube filled with demons. If I flew commercial, I'd have to stop 65% of what I'm doing. How much money did you pay for Tyler Perry's Gulfstream jet, for example? Well, for example, that's really none of your business, but... Isn't it the business of your donors? Listen, he made that airplane so cheap for me, I couldn't help but buy it. 
It's impossible to know exactly how many million. Happens to me all the time, by the way. People make things so cheap for me. People make planes so cheap for me. I just can't help but buy it. Which is, again, not a Christian view of how we think through self-control, by the way. Millions of dollars these ministries take in every year because they are not required to make financial disclosures of donations received. By the way, all of it is tax exempt. Now, that part, that's a little cheap shot. I'm totally fine with it being tax exempt because it is religious in nature. The problem here is it is a fa- it is a false religion. It's a, it's as a false religion as Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam. It's false religion. It's not real. But if we get into a world where the government is getting to decide what religion is real and what's not, then we're running into a real problem. Uh, but for the Christian listening to me, these are folks that don't need a dime from you and don't need a moment of your time. Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, all of those guys, Creflo Dollar, they are false prophets. They preach a false gospel. The gospel is not a, a method of getting rich. The story of Jesus and Paul alone, plus the early disciples, showed that wealth on this earth is not evil, but it is not a sign of God's blessing, and poverty is not a sign of God's cursing. None of that is true. And so I'm glad Inside Edition did the exposition. We probably need more of that. And those ministries going away would be good for everybody if that's where we got to. We're all out of time for all the serious stuff for the week. Before we move on to sports, really quickly, again, you can find the show, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truex. You will find me there. Share the show on your own, uh, your own social media, if you would be so kind. And please get in touch. You can send voice messages to the show. Write to me on Facebook. You can also reach the show at Show at gmail.com. The show is always better when I'm responding to your feedback. So send me topics where you think I'm wrong, any of that content, Please send on over to me, and I'll be glad to have it on the show. Let's go ahead and move on to sports. Are you ready? As we are wont to do from time to time, even in football offseason, we're going to do our sports wrap. We're going to do it with Heath Powell. He is our sports correspondent. Hello there, sir. Hello. I want to start here. Hey, the Raptors went four in a row after looking like they couldn't beat the Bucks. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. When the when the series started, I thought, okay, the Bucks are going to sweep them, and then the Raptors come rip four off in a row. I like the Raptors. I despise Drake, so I'm torn. <laughs> I, I'm I'm torn between those. But no, I I genuinely like Kawhi Leonard, mm-hmm. uh, Marcus Lowry. I, you know, I've always liked Serge Ibaka, Danny yep. Green. I mean, all these guys that I like. Is, was um, it Danny Green a Tar Heel? He was. He met North Carolina. Yeah. It was a great, great, well, you know, great Kawhi shooter. and Danny played together in San Antonio. Yep. Um, so I, I love this team. I really do. Yeah, usually uh, in the finals, I really dislike a team because LeBron James is on one of them and I dislike right. him. I like both of these teams. How about LeBron James, not a first team All NBA for the first time in I don't know how many well, years? Uh, probably since he got in the league. I uh, think so it was 14 or 15 years. Yeah, it's, it was like 12, 13, something like that. But I got to say, he didn't deserve it this year. No, he didn't. I'm glad they're not just voting him in because his name is LeBron James. I agree. He didn't I have like a season that. to merit first team. No, he didn't. But was he on second team? I think it was third team, actually. Okay, and that's almost totally out of name. Right. Uh, and granted, it's a guard-heavy league, and he plays forward. Yeah. And so, uh, who are you competing with? But let's forwards? be honest. He's on the third team because his name is LeBron James. His name right. is LeBron yeah. James. And fine, whatever. He's got this great legacy in, in basketball. But he did not have a great year. The Lakers didn't even make the playoffs. No, they didn't. Um, okay. So, uh, the thing I primarily wanted to talk about with that Toronto series is Kawhi Leonard needs to be in the conversation with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. And best Giannis, player in the league? Yes. He might, he might be the best I've, I've – he's the best I've seen in a long time. 
Yeah, it's definitely Giannis, Durant, and Kawhi for me. I agree. Um, but here's the difference. Kawhi is the, is probably the best player in the league at two-way, offense and defense. Agreed. Now, these other guys can score, and Giannis has a lot of blocks because of, of his position and what he does. Durant is like a seven-foot two-guard. Yes. I mean, that's just what he is. He's a shooter. Yes. That's what he is. Score. But two-way basketball player Kawhi may be the best. I think he is the best two-way. Remember, remember he we we know his name. This guy's also a, a Finals MVP for the Spurs. For the Spurs, yeah, we know his name because of what he did against LeBron James on defense. Yeah, for the he's Spurs. also an NBA All Defensive Player as well. Yeah. So I mean, he did gr- he did great when he was on Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo, yeah, uh, yeah, guy. And I think he's going to cause Durant a little trouble or maybe cause Curry or Clay some trouble. A little. I think so, but here's the problem for Toronto. Mm-hmm. Giannis, you shut him down, you make the other guys beat you. Yeah. You shut Durant down, the other guys will beat you. They will. <laughs> I mean, they've just swept somebody without Durant. With In the conference finals. A good team. The Blazers are very good. A good team. Swept them with no Durant. With basically just Draymond playing out of his mind. Yeah. And then Clay and Steph having great series. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. This Warriors team, this is the pre-Durant Warriors where they're just crushing people. Yeah. Um, You know, they won without him, and then he comes, and they kind of defer to him a little bit too much, in my opinion. Yeah. You just isolate him, give him the ball, let him do what he does. But now, this is this is the Warriors team that we were accustomed to for those three, four, five years. I, I'm actually having more fun watching that Warriors team. Yeah. I think it's more fun. Because it is, um, I guess that's, it's pattern basketball, it's structure, it's not necessarily the players. Yeah. Because, like, they, didn't they have, Iguodala was gone in game four yep. against the Blazers. Yep, and he it was. was. just plug and play the next guy because it's our system. It doesn't have to be the big name player. Yeah, I love the guy, I can't remember his name, who came up through the D-League, he didn't get drafted. Was he, it Quentin Cook, is it? No, it's not Quentin Cook. Okay. This is another guy. Okay. Um, just a great story. They did a little excerpt on him on SportsCenter, and it's, it's just a great thing. But I'm telling you, I love this Warriors team. I, you know, I've been a Warriors fan for a while, but um, I, I think it was good for them to have Durant out for a while. Agree. I, I said this to you on a, a show maybe two or three weeks ago. I wanted that just for Steph's legacy yep. that people couldn't say, well, you know, you guys went and got Durant. Well, how about we're going to Yeah, see- but how about they won two without him? Sure. Even, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a big deal. Look who they have on the bench that's not playing. Durant's not playing. DeMarcus, DeMarcus Cousins, Cousins is not playing. Iguodala may not be playing. Yes. And they swept the, the conference finals. And I think even without Durant, and cut, I think they have to get Iggy back yeah. because he's such a great defender. Yeah. He could bother Kawhi, I think. He can. He bother him. Right. But I think they beat – So can Clay though. He's a great defender. Clay's an all-world defender. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. You're right. He doesn't because we think of him as the shooter. He's yep. one of the Splash Brothers. Yep. But he's actually a really great on-ball physical Yeah, I'm defender. thinking two-way players. Maybe Kawhi and Clay. Kawhi and Clay. I mean, there's an argument for against Clay, but I don't know who else it would be. It's, uh, yeah, it's really only one of those two. Right. Um, and, you know, Clay actually – I can't even think of him as one of those D and three players. Plays defense and shoots threes because right. Clay can create in the lane. He drives well. Look, he's got mid-range. He can drive. He can kick. Yeah. You know, he's, he's an all-around good scorer. When but he needs to be. Without Cousins and at, without Durant, I still think the Warriors beat the Raptors in six. Yeah, if the Raptors go big like they were, the Warriors are going to go small. And well, How are you going to defend them? Well, I, I mean, we've watched now the playoffs for a while, and people have yeah. tried that. Uh, the yeah. Thunder tried it back in, that would have been 12 or 13 maybe. I remember, of course, the Cavaliers trying it going big. Yeah. Uh, you don't run well with them. No, you don't. And you give them too much space to shoot. And when they go on a run and rip off – a twenty-five to six run, the game's pretty much over. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, you know, and you know what's going to happen. You just can't. You try to stem the flow. Before we do one more sports thing, uh, let me just ask you this question. I am taking the Warriors in six. Do you, uh-huh. have, a, do you have a preference on a prediction? Yeah, I'm taking the Warriors in four. Warriors in four? Okay. <laughs> All right. So we, both of us think they're going to win a thing. It's I, just, I, I mean, I love the Raptors, but yeah. this is a totally different animal you're dealing with here. It's yes. just totally different. To with two minutes left, another gigantic signing for the local Clemson Tigers. The yes, sir. number one defensive end in this uh, 2020 class. His name is Miles Murphy. Murphy, thank you. He's Eminem, which I'm going to give you the last, I don't know, 90 seconds here. He's added on to an incredibly impressive class. Yes, he has. Nationally, these are the players that have committed for 2020, ranking nationally. Number two national, number eight national, number 13 national, 18, 27, 41, 42, and those are just the top 50 guys. There's a lot more that I'm not going to go through. And that, the best player they have right now is Brees, or Breesy, however you yep. say his name. He and Miles are defensive line players. Yes, they are. Like, the model is just sticking it's around. It's just sticking around. Here's their positions. Here's their ranking at their position. Breesy's number one in the country. Murphy's number two in the country. DJ, number one in the country. Demarcus Bowman, number two in the country. Fred Davis, number three. RJ Mickens, number one. And Kate Part, number two. Trey Williams, number three. Mitchell Myers, number four. That's just a few of them. That's their national ranking at their position. You know, what's crazy about that is you wonder, are any of these guys going to be any better than Christian Wilkins or Dexter Lawrence? And I think some of them might. They may but, be. But the question is never, doesn't have to be that. The question is, are they better than the other guys they'll play against? Yeah, which they probably are. Yes. They're the highest ranked players. Because position. here's the thing you have to think about Clemson recruiting. They've never had, you know, a top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven class. They're no. normally around the 10-ish, 15-ish level. But they're winning national championships because they can develop the players. Yeah. Now, if you just add on top of that raw, natural talent to the development that they get, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. One example of that <laughs> it's here. It's scary. Uh, Kevin Dodd, again, a guy who's still yeah. playing in the NFL. What about he Grady Jarrett? Didn't play till fourth or fifth year there and was not highly recruited. Yep. But were incredible players when they were there. Yep. Thanks for coming in and talking sports. I appreciate it. Please share the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you have influence. You should share the show. It'll make me super happy. And you can find the show on demand in my second show, South Carolina Connections from Palmetto Family Podcast Network, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Please go listen there, rate, review the show. And until next time, everybody, peace and love.